And now uh, we're going to get into the sermon for today. Uh, we are continuing in our series on 1 Corinthians. And today we are in chapter 6, uh, verses 12 through 20. Chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. So uh, going back a little bit, a couple of weeks, in, in chapter you know, chapters 1 through 4, Paul was dealing with the topic of division that was going on in the church in Corinth. Chapter 5, uh, I'll move over a little bit here. Chapter 5, uh, he, he turns his attention to a case of, of sexual immorality that was happening in the Corinthian church. In particular, there was a man who was sleeping with his father's wife, um, ostensibly his mother-in-law, something like that. There was this, this case of sexual immorality in the church, and Paul was really flabbergasted that the Corinthians were allowing this. And not only were they allowing it, they were brazenly thinking that it was okay because they were, they were such spiritual people that things like this didn't really matter. And Paul says, no, no, you, you should be judging this person. Meaning, you know, as Christians, we're called to discern what's right and wrong. Uh, he says, we don't judge the people outside of the church. They don't purport to accept the Bible as their standard or to believe in our God. We appeal to them with the gospel. But within the church, we do hold each other to the standard of the word of God and, and what it means to be a disciple of Christ and to follow Jesus. That is something that we do. And you guys should be holding this man to that standard. You should be judging him. And, and you actually should, should tell this person he is not a part of the church in the hopes of waking him up to the severity of his lifestyle. Now, in chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, last week, Paul says... Now, you're not judging properly in the church. You should be, but in fact, what you're doing is you are taking your church issues and you're bringing them to secular judges out in the Greco-Roman courts, which is ridiculous. So you should be making judgments about what's right or wrong within the church. You're not doing that. And you're taking your personal issues and you're bringing them to judges who don't know God. You guys have totally flipped this around. As a church, you should be making discernments about what's right and wrong, even when brothers or sisters have disagreements with each other, not taking each other to court, suing each other. This is crazy. So they were getting that all wrong. But Paul, after talking about lawsuits, he's not done with this topic of sexual immorality. So he goes back to it now in the second half of chapter 6. And, and that's what we're looking at today. I'm going to read through 12 through 20. It, all of it now, and then we'll go back and we'll go through this a little bit at a time. So Paul says here, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For, as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee 
from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is the word of God. So apparently, in Corinth, in the church in Corinth, there were certain sayings or slogans that they had. One of them was, all things are lawful for me. That was a popular saying that they had. What do they mean by this? All things are lawful for me. Well, the background of this is that the people of God for thousands of years, since God called the people out of Egypt and brought them out of slavery and gave them his commandments at Mount Sinai, the people of Israel, the people of God, were called to follow the commandments of God. And there were hundreds of them, hundreds of commandments. What you could and you couldn't eat. Uh, you couldn't eat pork or, or shellfish and different things. Uh, you had to be careful about certain things in your home in terms of mold or mildew. And not just your home, but also your body in terms of skin diseases. There are regulations about what types of animals could be brought as a sacrifice before God. There were certain festivals and days and, and different things that they had to observe. And they had to go to Jerusalem three times a year. All the men had to do that. There were all of these laws. Hundreds of them, in fact, that the Israelites had to keep. Now, when Jesus came, he fulfilled the law so that the law no longer needed to be kept in that way. Because the entire Old Testament law, as Jesus said to his disciples, was written about him. They were all meant to be a living example to the people of Israel and to the world of what it meant to follow God, of who God is and who we are and our need for a savior and how Jesus is the Messiah that we're all looking forward to, we, we should be waiting for and would one day come and truly somehow get forgiveness of sins for us. That's what the whole law was pointing forward to. So when Jesus came, when he finally came 2,000 years ago and he died upon the cross for our sins and was raised on the third day for our righteousness, the law was fulfilled and there was no longer a need for the Old Testament law. Now it was about following Jesus as Lord and Savior, walking with God. So the Corinthians were well aware of this. So this is their slogan. This is where it came from. All things are lawful for me. I don't need to be kept under the law of God anymore from the Old Testament. Now I have freedom. Now I have this liberty. We're not under that old covenant anymore. Now Paul, Paul would agree with that. He certainly would agree with that. Just read, read Galatians and you'll know that Paul says, we no longer live under the law, circumcision, what we eat, all of these things. We're no longer under that. But that doesn't mean it's a free-for-all. It doesn't mean we do whatever we want. This freedom, all things being lawful for me, this freedom that we have must also be kept in alignment with the Spirit of God. We are free, yes, free from the law, but now we walk according to the Spirit of God. So he says, yes, all things are lawful. You can eat pork. Thank God. 
You can eat shrimp. Thank God. Thank you, Lord. But not all things are helpful. I'm not talking about pork or shrimp there, although it could be possibly true. But Paul says, but you could do all things. You have freedom, but you still need to ask, is it helpful what you're doing? Is it beneficial? At the end of the day, does doing what you're doing, even if there's no more law about it, does it help you to become more like Christ? Does it help other people become more like Christ? Does it expand the kingdom of God? Is it something that is pleasing to the Lord? Is it something that at the end of the day is beneficial and helpful to all things related to following our Lord? We still need to be thinking that way. For example, any job is lawful for you. It's okay. I mean, aside from like joining organized crime or something like, you know what I mean, right? Like most jobs, most jobs are okay. The Bible doesn't say you should become a doctor or a teacher or a nurse. It, it doesn't talk about any of that. There's a freedom in terms of what you do as a job. You could choose what you want to do, but that doesn't mean every job will be helpful or beneficial for you. Yeah, we, we all need to work so that we can provide for ourselves and our families so that we can have resources to share with others, to care for other people, to advance the kingdom of God. We all need to do those things. But there are some jobs possibly out there that if you take, you don't have any time or energy left to care or invest in your family or your marriage or to serve your church or that, that are, don't help you to have a vibrant relationship with God. Maybe it's a job that is lawful. It's okay but it's not helpful or beneficial. Paul says we need to be discerning. We need to keep in step with the Spirit in terms of that. In our dating life, the Bible doesn't say who you can date. The Bible doesn't even talk about dating because it was arranged marriages back then. The only thing that the Bible makes clear is that we're supposed to date somebody of the same faith as us. We're supposed to date other Christians. Paul talks about that later in 1 Corinthians as well. But that's millions of people. <laughs> that's so many different people. It could, there could be so many people. The Bible doesn't tell you who you're supposed to date. But we should ask the same question. When I date this person, is it helpful? Do I help this person become more like Christ? Does this person help me become more like Christ? Does being together help us to continue to walk down this path of glorifying God with our lives together? We should be asking those questions. There are millions of people you can date. But is this person that you're dating going to be helpful to you and you to them. Paul says, yes, all things are lawful, but is it helpful? Is it beneficial? The Corinthians says, all things are lawful for me. Paul secondly here says, but I will not be dominated by anything. Here's the second thing Paul says. Yes, you're free to do anything you want that is not clearly sin, right? But that does not mean that you, 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 you could just do whatever you want without regard for how things can dominate you. In other words, what he's saying is, be careful that the freedom that you have in the name of freedom, going to do certain things, doesn't lead to you actually losing your freedom and becoming enslaved to that thing. Because that happens. A good thing in your life can become an ultimate thing. It can become something that masters you. It can become something that is an addiction. I love, as you probably know, video games, particularly of the strategy sort. I love those. I like playing them 
online. I have the freedom to do that. It's a release. It's a, something I enjoy. It keeps my mind young so that I'll be sharp until I'm 120 years older. At least that's what I tell myself. I have the freedom to do that. But can I tell you in the name of freedom and hobbies, there have been so many times in my life where I found myself addicted to these strategy games, especially of the online sort. And I have had the only way I've freed myself is I've written down these covenants before God. This is me. God, I, okay, I promise I will not play Settlers of Catan online for the next two years, God, because I know I failed. It's, it owns me. All I can think about is wood and sheep and weed. And that. Okay, okay, I got to get that out of my mind. Two years, Lord, I write this covenant. And then I wait after two years. Am I free? Then I play again. And then after three months, oh, man, here it is again. God, in five years, I won't play. I've had that over and over in my life. A good, a, a lawful thing, a hobby can become something that I am enslaved to, that I am mastered by. It happens. It happens. Alcohol, it can be a good thing. It can be something we thank God for. It can be a wonderful thing to be enjoyed. Some people choose not to drink. Some people do choose to drink. But at the same time, that freedom, if we're not careful, can lead down the road towards drunkenness, towards alcoholism. Just because we're free to do it doesn't mean we, can't, we shouldn't be careful about how we do it. We no longer need to tithe. Like in the Old Testament, I don't know if you come from a church, maybe they said you need to tithe, you need to give 10%. And um, I don't agree with that because the Old Testament, that was Old Testament law. And when Jesus came, we don't need to tithe anymore. Uh, that's Old Testament law. But when we look at the Bible, when we look at what happens in the New Testament, people were so filled with the Spirit of God that their generosity went off the hook because of the, off the charts, because of the Holy Spirit within them. And Barnabas sold the, the land that he had and he gave it to the church and, and people viewed their possessions not as their own, but they shared with each other. And the Bible says there are no needy people amongst them. That's what the Spirit of God was doing. And I, I could say, Christine and I, well, you know, we're free. So we don't need to give a fixed percentage of our income. But we choose to do that because I know that in my freedom... If I just say, I am free, and I'm not going to live under any of these laws or rules I make for myself, as Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then over time, I will give less and less and less and less in the name of freedom to find myself enslaved to greed and materialism. So that's why we continue to give a fixed percentage of what we receive in our income. So... All things are lawful. We're not under that Old Testament law, but we need to ask, is it something that will enslave you? You have a lot of freedom to do a lot of different things in your life, but are those good things becoming ultimate things in your life? This is how Paul is coming in to correct these Corinthians. All things are lawful, yes, but you need to keep in step with the Spirit. We need to discern, is it helpful is it something that's going to lead to you being mastered? Now, keep in mind, so Paul lays this out, right? And this is the Corinthian mindset, this slogan, all things are lawful for me. Now, what happens here? In the Corinthian church, not only are they thinking all things are lawful for me, but we also see what happens 
when the culture that they live in begins to influence them and gets connected and married to this idea of freedom. Now, if you remember, the, the Corinthian church was in this Greek Hellenistic culture, um, which is why in chapters 1 through 4, they were looking down on Paul. Oh, you're not sophisticated. You don't seem wise. In other words, you, you don't talk with, with great sophistry or eloquence like the other Greek philosophers and people that we're used to around us, right? They were infected and affected by this mindset that was around them. And it's happening here as well in terms of uh, what they're doing in terms of sexual relations as well. Remember, they were influenced by Plato. This is Greco-Hellenistic background here. And Plato had a very low view of the body. This is the Hellenistic background here. Very low view of the body. What you do with your body doesn't really matter. What matters is the soul, the real you. The physical stuff, it's low. It's not a big deal. So the Corinthians, hearing this, they think they're super spiritual. Remember, they think that they're very, very spiritual people, which is a, a, a common theme that we see in 1 Corinthians. And this Greek mentality is seeping in. The body doesn't matter. Mixed with their slogan, all things are lawful for me, what ends up happening is them thinking, whatever I do with my body, it doesn't matter. I, what matters is being spiritual. That's what really matters. All things are lawful for me. It doesn't matter what I do with my body. In fact, including sexual immorality. Here in verse 13, when they said, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, that's another slogan there that they were probably saying. Now, there's a lot of um, different views about this from theologians here, but I think I'm in agreement with those that say, this quotation, it doesn't end at, and the stomach for food. That end quote there actually belongs over here. And God will destroy both one and the other is a part of the full quote. That's, that's what I think. And, and the reason that's important is this. So this is what the Corinthians are saying. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. What's the big deal? When I'm hungry, I eat. You know, and that's what a stomach is for. God's going to destroy both one and the other. God's going to destroy it. Uh, what they're talking about is that there's no eating in heaven. I know that. Some of you are like, oh, <laughs> what? I don't want to go anymore. Listen, you're probably thinking, what do you mean no eating in heaven? There's all this imagery about the, the wedding banquet with God and, and all these different things. You know, a lot of that is, is probably talking about, it's, it's an illustration for us of how amazing it is to be with our Savior, right? That he is the bridegroom, we are the bride, and we will finally be with our God together. And, and it's not necessarily talking about a literal wedding banquet, you know, like, I mean, what, are we going to have a billion seats and tables? And can you imagine the seating chart for that? You thought your wedding was hard, you know? Like, that's not necessarily what it means. Um, it's talking about being together with God. We do know, too, that there is no hunger, right? Heaven is a place where there is no hunger anymore, um, so do we need to eat and whatnot? And I know some of you are thinking, but, but, but just for the taste? <laughs> what about for the flavor, you know? All I know is at the end of the day, being with God will make the greatest three Michelin star restaurant that you could possibly eat at seem like junk. 
like garbage, like Twinkies and Ho-Hos, or maybe you really like that, but it, it, we will not feel like we're missing anything, okay? So the Corinthians are like, you know, we're not going to eat in the new heavens and a new earth. Uh, the, future, that, the future, there isn't any of that. The stomach is just a here and now thing. It's this physical earthly life thing right now. So if I have an appetite, I just satiate it. If I'm hungry, I just go eat. No big deal. This mentality was affecting their view also of sex. Why? Well, they're saying, just like food, my, my, my desire, my sexual drive, that's just an appetite. It's just a physical appetite. And, and because it's a physical appetite, I could just go freely satiate. It's not a big deal. It's not about my spirit. It's not about eternity or anything like that. If I'm hungry, I, I'm eat, I eat. If I'm sexy, I sex, right? That's, that's what we do. Uh, it's not a big deal. This was their mindset. This is what they used to justify continue seeing the prostitutes in the city of Corinth. And you remember, this is so tempting around them because this is all over the city of Corinth. As I mentioned before, to call somebody a Corinthian back in the day meant you were saying you are a very lewd, lewd licentious an immoral person. You just live like, 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 a, like you know, a drunken sailor type thing. That's what it meant to say you are a Corinthian. This is all around them. And this mentality, they had this mentality. They said, it doesn't matter what I do with my body. I'm going to heaven. I'm a spiritual person. So I want to go see the prostitutes. I want to engage in sex, you know, outside of marriage. Whatnot. It's not a big deal. This is what they were thinking. Now, how does Paul address this, right? And, and by the way, isn't, this is 2,000 years later in 2022, but there are a lot of similarities, aren't there, between then and now? One of the, 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 the mantras that we live by in this culture all around us is the one that says, if it feels good, do it, right? Don't we hear that all the time? Or pursue your passions without any qualification about what those passions may lead to. If you feel passionate about it, Go for it. In other words, you've got an appetite for something? Don't deny yourself. Satiate it. Do what you want. Life is short. Live with your appetite leading the way. Now, Paul addresses this here. Oh, that's hard to see. Sorry. Okay, now, what Paul's doing here is really important. There is a, um, a parallelism here that Paul is employing here. Okay? Now, the yellow is parallel with the yellow. The green here is parallel with the green. So what's happening is this. It's like Corinthians are saying, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Paul is saying, no, the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. So he's directly addressing that. He adds in the part here, it's not meant for sexual immorality, but that's kind of part and parcel with what he's saying here. Food is meant for stomach, stomach for food. No, the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. Oh, and God will destroy both one and the other. He's going to destroy it. He's going to nullify it. There'll be no eating in heaven. It doesn't matter. Paul says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. God will raise Jesus, whose body was destroyed upon the cross and put in the tomb. He will raise that destroyed body up. And our bodies that are, if Jesus doesn't come in our lifetime, our bodies that will be in the ground, disintegrated, scattered into billions of atoms throughout this world, destroyed. God is going to raise that body back up 
at the last day when Jesus returns. In other words, our body is eternal. It will live on forever. Yeah, maybe there's no eating in heaven. That slogan might be true, but your body continues on in heaven. So what you do with your body now matters. This is why we recite in the Apostles' Creed every Sunday, I believe in the resurrection of the body. Our bodies will be resurrected. The body that you have now will be the body that we have in heaven in a glorified form. It's the same body. I know it's another like, what? You tell me, same body? Oh man, are you kidding me? You're really, really hurting me today. You lose. I was really picturing that six pack. Gosh, in heaven and a few pounds lighter. Maybe, maybe. Our body will be glorified. So we're gonna be pretty happy with it, I'm sure. Whatever that ends up meaning. But the point is, it's the same body. It's not a different body. It's your body now, but in a resurrected, glorified form. Just like this earth. God isn't going to destroy the earth. God is going to renew the earth. And we're still going to be on the earth, but it's going to be in a renewed way that it was meant to be without the effect of sin. It will be like Eden, but in the entire planet. So Paul's saying, your body will be with God for eternity. It's not just a now. It's not this low platonic view of it. We need an eternal view of the body. That changes things, doesn't it? You know, you, when you uh, rent a car, I don't know about you, but when I rent a car, and I always do the, you know, I'll fill up the gas myself because I don't want to pay the extra for them to, to fill it up. And when I'm going back to drop it off and I got to go fill up gas, do you know what gas I get? The cheap gas. I get the cheap gas. The cheapest deli quickie mart gas that I can get. Why? Because it's not my car. (laughs) It's not my car. I don't want to spend more money. I get the cheap gas. You know what I do when I see a speed bump? When it's not my car, when it's a rental? I may slow down a little bit, but I might fly over that speed bump. Might catch a little bit of air because I got somewhere to go. Now imagine if somebody said to me, if, the, if Hertz or Avis said to me, Ulysses, we really like you. We want you to know that after your rental's done, this car is going to be yours. We're going to gift it to you. <gasps> what? Really? Yes, it's your gift. Guess what I'm going to do when I need to refill my gas before I return the car? I'm going to go with top tier. <laughs> I'm going to spend a little bit more to get that better gas for that car. Guess what I'm going to do when I see that speed bump? I'm going to slow down. I'm going to slow down and rock over it slowly. Why? Because that car is going to be mine because I have a long-term perspective, a long-term view of that car. That car is going to be mine, so I'm going to treat it well. It changes everything. God's saying your body's not a rental. Your body's not a rental. Your body's eternal. And not only is it not a rental, and, it's not a, it's, and it is eternal, but it belongs to me. Your body is not your own. I bought it with a, at a price. My son died upon the cross and he was resurrected so that you could be resurrected. You belong to me. We don't treat our bodies like a rental. We don't treat it like it's temporal. We don't treat it like we eat and drink for tomorrow we die. We don't treat it like any appetite that I have. 
I go and just satiate it. Our bodies are eternal and they belong to the Lord. Now, Paul, Paul goes on and he, he goes on to really drive home this point of, of why sexual sin is of a particularly, sin of a particularly heinous nature. Of a particularly heinous nature. When he says here in verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Now Paul, what he's saying here is that when we, not only do our bodies belong to the Lord, but when we sin in sexual immorality, it is of a particularly heinous nature. Why? Because referring back to Genesis chapter 2, where God brought Adam and Eve together in the first marriage, and when they came together, he said the two will become one flesh. What he's saying there is that the, the, the sexual act is a part of the marriage covenant between one man and one woman as God ordained it. That, that is marriage, and, and marriage means many, one, many things. It's oneness in so many different ways, emotionally, spiritually, in all these different ways, but physically as well. And, and the sexual act is, is meant to be part of this oneness within marriage, and something happens. So in the sexual act, it is connected to this oneness. Something happens that is, is, is more than just the physical act. Something happens that is holistic, that is emotional, spiritual, that is, to use another word, mystical in some way. Something special is happening in sexual relationships. It, that's got to be what Paul is saying here. Because if sex is just a physical act, then, then imagine, then how does it read here in verse 16? If it's just a sexual act, or do you not know that he who has sex with a prostitute well, becomes one body with her? Well, that means sex, right? So do you not know that he who has sex with a prostitute has sex with a prostitute? Uh, yeah, we know that. For as it is written, the two will have sex. If that's two becoming one, if all it means is sex, the Corinthians would be like, yeah, we know that. Paul, <laughs> we understand that when we see a prostitute, we're just having sex. Right? That's not what Paul is saying. There's something more going on here. There is a oneness of a particular sort that is supposed to happen within the act of sex. It's supposed to happen within marriage that is deeply profound and met for the context of marriage. In verse 17, Paul on the flip side of this, talks about our relationship with God, and he says that when you're a Christian, we are one spirit with God. Now, that's not a pantheistic statement. That doesn't mean we become God and we are divine. No, but in some crazy, deeply profound way, there is a oneness between us and God where the Bible literally describes us as being the body of Christ. 
We're the body of Christ. Christ is the head. We're his body. How does that union work? We don't know, but it is deeply profound. So Paul is saying, are you going to take the body of Christ, members of the body of Christ, and unite them in oneness with a prostitute? Are you going to take people who are one with God in the spirit in some deeply profound way and through sexual relations make them one with another person who is not your spouse? Are you going to do that? No, we cannot do that. Perhaps one of the um, best verses that kind of explains this profundity, let me read from Ephesians chapter 5. It says this, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Notice, it's, it's when I love my wife, I'm loving me. We're one flesh. And then he continues, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And now here's the real, the real kicker here. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What Paul is saying here is that marriage, earthly marriage between one man and one woman in this covenant relationship even at its, at, at its very best, what it's meant to do, marriage, is to show the world what it is like to be in relationship with God, what it is like to be loved by God, what it is like to be in a covenant relationship with God. When, when we say, till death do us part, it is like God saying, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's what it means to be in a relationship with God. Marriage on this earth, even the very best marriage, is but a shadow that is meant to reflect what it is like to be with God. And finally, when Jesus returns at the wedding banquet of the Lamb to be reunited with our God, Jesus as the bridegroom and us as the bride, Paul is saying marriage reflects that. Marriage points to that. And, And sexual, to take sex outside of the oneness of marriage, it is so anathema. It is so contrary to what marriage is about. To to break my covenant with my wife and sleep with somebody else I'm not in covenant with would be like God saying, you know, I I was in covenant with you. You were my children, but you know, I'm not really feeling it today. I know you believed in Jesus and we made that whole covenant thing, but I'm just not feeling you today. I think I'll make those people my children over there. Or you know what? Humans, ah, so, so 2000s. I'm going to make birds my covenant beings. The birds, sorry, humans. What, what about the Jesus thing? And I believed. And, ah, covenant shmoving it. Could you imagine God saying that? No, God would never, ever say that. He's in covenant. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. That's the covenant love of God. That's what love within marriage, all of marriage is meant to display even sex, the intimacy of it, the love between a husband and wife, all of it is meant to display a picture of our deepest desires and and wants and needs. It is in knowing God and being known 
by him. So what what does Paul do here? He says, flee. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Paul, he's, he's highlighting sexual morality in a way that is so unique. He says, no, every other sin is outside the body. But sexual immorality sins against your own body. I, I know that we could say, wait a second. Paul, what are you talking about? What about gluttony? When I, aren't I sinning against my temple? You know, when I, gluttony. What about drunkenness, debauchery? Isn't that also kind of hurting my body? What about suicide? When I hurt my body in that way. Aren't those sins against my body? What Paul is saying here is, yes, those are things that are hurtful towards our body. Those are things that are, there's truth in that. But what Paul is saying, there's nothing like this in terms of the two become one nature of it that it is meant to display and how it works within the economy of God. It, and to make things more awkward, Paul says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? He's saying to the Corinthians, don't you know God is within you in some way when the, through this oneness, the Spirit of God dwells within you? So when you engage in sexual immorality with somebody else who's not your spouse, the Holy Spirit is with you and like, awkward, right, Paul? It's like, you ever like watch a movie with your parents and like some kind of racy scene comes on or some like sexually charged scene comes on and you're like, oh man, this is really, really awkward. Oh gosh, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's like Paul, like, oh, he's so awkward. He's like, Holy Spirit is within you. How can you take yourself and join yourself to somebody else in sexual immorality. C.S. Lewis, he said this in the Screwtape Letters, the truth is that wherever a man lies with a woman, there, whether they like it or not, a transcendental relation is set up between them which must be eternally enjoyed or eternally endured. There is something about sexual relations, sexual immorality that is, is different. It's just different. I've been married to Christine for 16 years. We have a happy marriage. God forbid, God forbid one day I cheat on my wife. God forbid. And, and could you imagine if I went to Christine and I said, honey, I'm sorry. I've been unfaithful to you. I've, I've cheated on you. But I want you to know it was just physical. Just physical. I, I, I don't love her, this other person. I don't love her. I don't have any feelings towards her. My heart is for you. I love you. It was nothing. In fact, I don't even know her name. I don't even know her name. Would that make it okay or less bad? Because it was just physical? That would... No, that, that could very well be the end of our marriage. Why? Because it's not just physical. Because there is something there within sexual relations that is different. That is not like any other sin. 
Talk to anybody who has uh, been a victim of sexual violence, sexual assault, and say to them, oh, don't worry, you'll physically heal. It's, you know, like, just like other bumps and scrapes and cuts and broken bones that you've had, it'll heal over time. You'll be okay. Is that, is that the way we would approach it? Absolutely not. We know that the trauma from sexual violence can be so deep. And there's a reason for that. Because somebody took something that is meant, designed in a beautiful way by God and used it as a weapon against somebody. Something so deep and scarring happens with that. Friends, through Christ, there can be healing for and forgiveness and healing for adultery, healing for sexual violence that people experience. But it is a difficult, painful, long road of healing. And there is a reason for that. This is why Paul says, flee. Flee from sexual immorality. Don't walk. Run. When you experience it, don't mess around with it. Don't play with fire. Be like Joseph, who when Potiphar's wife grabbed his robe, said, come to bed with me. Joseph was like, out of my robe, right? Ran out the door. He ran. He didn't say, can we talk about, no, 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 we we shouldn't. Hey, you're, you're really stretching my cardigan there. No, he ran. He ran out the house. He didn't sit there in it. He didn't mess around with it. He fled from it. Brothers and sisters, what does that mean for us? It means being diligent about compromising situations with your significant other. Situations or environments that lead to temptation. You you know what they are. Um, Talk about them. Discuss how to put up safeguards, how to guard your relationship until marriage. Maybe you're married and you're, 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 you're talking a lot with somebody at, at work or at the gym and maybe of the opposite sex and maybe a little bit too much. And you know it's maybe a little bit too much, maybe getting a little too close, maybe a little bit too emotional. You're, you're treading that fine line there. Cut that off. Flee from it. Doesn't matter if it's awkward. Run. Don't mess around with that. If that app is tempting you in ways that you know it shouldn't be, get off that app. Get off that app. Of course, pornography, which leads to deeper and deeper sexual immorality. Grab a brother, grab a sister today, somebody of the same gender, and say, hey, I need to share something going on with you in my life. Could you pray for me? A safe person. Confess your sin. Always a fleeing. Don't walk. Run. Because there is too much at stake here. To conclude here, Paul says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Brothers and sisters, when we say no to sexual immorality, when we say, I'm going to wait for marriage for sex, when we say that, when we choose to live according to God's word and not according to the 
culture around us, whether it's a Greco-Hellenistic culture or the culture of 2022, the culture of America and the Bay Area, wherever you may find yourself, when we choose to walk according to God's word, we glorify God in our body. By living that way, it brings glory to God. God is so pleased with that. It says to God, it says to this world, God is worth it. God's ways are true. God is to be trusted. God is the, is, the, is the ultimate standard by which I live, and it brings glory to him. It brings glory to God. When you commit with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, even your fiancé, yes, your fiancé, to save sex until marriage, you bring glory to God when you do that. It brings glory to God. When you guard your marriage by investing in it, and not letting yourself look elsewhere for emotional intimacy or connection, you bring glory to God. When you, when you scorn the ridicule of the world, when they say, what, saving yourself for marriage? You're, are you kidding me? You're like the 40-year-old virgin, Steve Carell. You're like a, such a prude. Are you crazy? What are you talking about? What about sexual chemistry? How do you know this and all that? But when you, when you scorn the ridicule of the world, and you save yourself for the design of God, you bring glory to God. You glorify God with your body. When you say, I will live in such a way, in my singleness, and when I'm married, I will, in my marriage, I will live in such a way, I will love my wife, the wife will respect her husband, and, and we will bring We'll show the world the beauty of what marriage looks like and where sex belongs and all of these things. And it will bring such incredible glory to God. Because Bay Area, what do we... Man, this place talks about... We're the forefront in America of polyamorous life and this, you know, free, open relationship. It's Corinth, man. It's Corinth. It doesn't lead to fulfillment. It leads to the grave to emptiness and destruction and death. But living according to the word of God brings glory to God and life to us. Let's pray. Would you stand with me? Invite the worship team up. I just want to invite you. Let's, um, let's just take this moment while the word of God is fresh and let's just come before the Lord in prayer. And, um, you know, if there's something, I, I pray that there is, I believe that there is for everybody here, there's something some, that you want to bring before the Lord that God is convicting you of. Maybe it's cutting off uh, something that you're doing in your life. Maybe it's a commitment to, hey, I'm going to talk to my significant other about how we can really guard and keep the marriage bed pure until we're married. Um, maybe it's, it's, uh, it's investing in your marriage and seeking the oneness that that's God has designed for you, not letting your heart drift. Maybe it's grabbing somebody today and confessing, having struggling with lust and pornography, and, and that's something men and women struggle with. I don't know, wh whatever it is. Maybe it's saying, I'm going to flee. I'm going to flee today. I, I got to take radical. I can't wait anymore. Don't wait, brothers and sisters. Don't wait. If there's something, don't say, oh, that was, a, that was an interesting message by Ulysses. Oh, let me think about that a little bit. I'm not, don't think. I'm not saying don't think, but don't think. Flee. 
Don't wait. When you wait, it grows cold. Your heart, the devil, the devil wants to say, just, just put that one on the back burner. It's a good idea. Let's come back to it. That's what he says. Flee. Paul doesn't say that all the time. With this, he says it. He says, flee, run from this one, brothers and sisters. If you're not a Christian, I don't know what you're looking for. Maybe you're looking for love in this world. I'll tell you this. The love that you really need deep down is you need to know your Savior, Jesus Christ. You need to know the God who loves you, who gave his son on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. And if you would trust in him as your Savior, everything that you're pursuing in this world, it is like garbage. It is a shadow compared to the love of God. That's what you're really missing. Let's come before the Lord. Let's just bring our hearts to God, whatever it may be. Feel free to pray. Feel free to, if you want to get on your knees, if you want to spread out a little bit, let's just come before the Lord. You can pray out loud. You can pray silently. Just don't let this moment pass us by. Let's pray. God, we want to glorify you in our bodies. We want to be a pure and holy church. We want to, we want to glorify you, God. We want to walk with your spirit, oh God. Let's pray. Let's pray before the Lord. really want to pray for anybody here today. Maybe maybe there's somebody here. Maybe you feel just really far from God because of um, sexual sin or, or lust or something that's really gone out of control in your life, like an appetite. And you feel like, man, I just got to satiate it. I, I feel hopeless. You know, there is hope in God. There is always hope in God, brothers and sisters. The Spirit of God, the the Holy Spirit lives within you. You're the temple of the living God. And if you cry out to God, you say, God, help me. Help me to glorify you in my body. Help me to walk with you. God is faithful. God is faithful. He will help you. He will change you. He will cleanse you. He will empower you. Brothers and sisters, oh, Lord, I just pray for anybody who may feel discouraged this day, God. Lord, may they know that the forgiveness of God is here that you are slow to anger. You are abounding in forgiveness and grace and love and mercy, Lord God, and that, that every one of us would come to you this day with our hearts just as we are, just as we are, God, to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus and to be renewed in our spirit, to walk with you in spirit, in mind, and in body, in all of us, God. Oh, Lord, we pray. Come, Lord God. 
come, Lord God, and fill us, we pray. As we worship the Lord, I want to encourage you, let's continue to pray, continue to come before the Lord. You could sing, but if you are doing some business with God, keep on praying, keep on seeking God, for I believe His grace is here this morning.
I, I just feel uh, the conviction to do something a little different today. I'm going to invite the prayer team up to the front at this time, but I just, I feel like um, I, I want to invite you to really seize the opportunity today to come forward and pray to God. And, and I want to invite you up to the front here to get on your knees if you're able to. And if you just have a desire in your heart today, you're, there's a conviction, God, I want to glorify you in my body. I want, to, I want you to be my Lord. And whether that's about purity and the things I was talking about today, or it could just be this freedom. Freedom's gotten out of control. And in the name of liberty, maybe a hobby is taking over your life or something's too much. It could be anything. But if there is a conviction within you, man, I, I don't want to be dominated by anything. I want to walk in purity, whatever it might be. I, I want to invite you to not miss this opportunity just to come up, to get on your knees if you're able to, and pray and seek God. And I'm going to ask the prayer team to just walk around and pray for people. I, I'm going to be here on my knees. I need prayer. So prayer team, please pray for me. I'm up here because I want to get prayer. But I just want to take this moment. If you, if you just feel convicted to do that, just come on up and just seize this opportunity just to come before the Lord and say, God, help me. I want my body. I want it to glorify you in the way that I live. Don't, don't miss this moment. If today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. I encourage you just to come up, just to pray and seek God as the worship team continues to lead us.
just want to encourage you to feel free to continue to pray if you feel like you're in a place with God, even after we close the service. Uh, if God's doing something, uh, grab a hold of it. You know, maybe grab somebody else and tell them, this is what God's doing in me. Pray for me. Lord, we come before you. And um, Lord, we pray that as we consider ourselves, our bodies, that we would view these as precious, as redeemed, as bought by you. I don't know, you know, I, I'm just getting this image right now of like, you know, when you walk into a store and there's like this big sale or something going on and there are tags on certain items and they say sold, they belong to this person. And you know, when you go over and you're kind of, you don't see one of those tags, and you're just looking at it and a clerk or somebody comes by and says, sorry, that's, that's sold. That belongs to somebody else. And you're like, oh, okay, hands off. Um, I pray that we would see ourselves, our bodies in that way. We belong to the Lord. We've been bought. We belong to him. Hands off world. Hands off anything that would taint and corrupt this body that belongs to the Lord, that God will re re resurrect and renew. I'm going to live like, like God's already bought it. It belongs to him through the blood of his son. Oh God, Lord, help us to live holy lives, pleasing to you. Give us the conviction to pursue holiness in all of our relationships, to pursue purity to pers in our singleness, to pursue the, the, the beauty of marriage in our marriages, God. Oh, Lord, we pray, God, that, and, and we believe that as we do this, it shines a light brightly in this world. Regardless of what the world says, if they scorn, if they laugh, whatever, Lord, we are the light and Lord, we pray that the world in its brokenness and in its unending appetite that can never be filled, those around us would come and see what you offer through your son. Even marriage, that utmost desired thing in this world is but a shadow of what it is like to be with you. Oh God, may the world develop a hunger for that when they see the way that we live with you now receive the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all God's people who will live now in light of eternity, from now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Can we give God a clap offering this morning? Praise God. Man, it's so good worshiping with all of you. Uh, if you're new, we have a welcoming table outside, and we encourage you to, to say hello and greet each other. Feel free to do that inside, too. Just keep the center aisle and back area clear, if you could, for our carts and setup team. Thank you so much. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday. Let's say hello to somebody else around us, maybe somebody you didn't meet. Have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you.